listening to the Community Conversations podcast published by Blood Advances, Journal of the American Society of Hematology. My name is Dr. Jeffrey Hill, NHMRC Senior Principal Research Fellow, QRMR Berghoff for Medical Research Institute and Associate Editor of Blood Advances. I'm your host for today's interview with Dr. Mary Epen at the Medical College of Wisconsin and Senior Scientific Director of Research at the Centre for International Blood and Marrow Transplant Research. We're discussing her recently published manuscript, Effective Donor Characteristics on Haploidentical Transplantation with Post-Transplant Cyclophosphamide. Thank you for joining us. So just to briefly summarize, this was a retrospective study of 928 patients reported to the CIBMTR receiving haploidentical transplantation for malignancy between 2008 and 2015 with post-transplant cyber-based immune suppression. The study focuses on the association of non-HLA donor characteristics on transplant outcome. Dr. Epen, the findings were interesting and perhaps surprising, noting that patient age and disease rather than any donor characteristics predominantly determined outcome. Would you mind expanding on your findings, telling the listeners what you found in a little more detail? Yes. We set about to study the donor characteristics, particularly in relation to how would you select the optimal haploidentical donor, given most patients have multiple suitable haploidentical donors. So our working hypothesis um, going off the unrelated donor studies was that donor age would most likely play a significant role in transplant outcomes, particularly survival. What was surprising is when we tested for donor age as an isolated factor, donors who were 30 years or older had an adverse effect on survival. In other words, the mortality risk of the recipient was higher. However, when we started introducing patient and disease characteristics, the effect of donor age and donor-recipient relationship was no longer significant, implying that in an adult population with hematologic malignancy, the patient and disease characteristics are more important than the donor characteristics. Thank you very much. So given that our um, haploidentical transplant patients often have more than one mismatched relative, which could be a parent or a sibling or, or an offspring, and that studies for selecting donors for unrelated transplant can suggest that younger donors are associated with better survival after, after adjusting for patient disease and transplant outcomes. So you found that that's, this didn't hold true for the haploidentical donors. Is that, is that correct? That, that, is, that is indeed correct. So are there other donor characteristics we should be looking for when we're selecting a relative? Does the relationship between the donor and the patient matter? The, the relationship between the donor and the patient mattered in a group of patients who received grafts from their parents, which were primarily patients aged 18 to 54. Albeit this was a small cohort, which accounted for 13% of the entire study population, recipients who received grafts from their parents, either a mother or a father, had a higher risk of graft failure. There were no differences in graft failure between patients who had received grafts from their offspring or their siblings, which cautions against the use of a parent donor in these circumstances if you can avoid a 
parent donor. But clearly, alginate transplantation for most of these patients is a life-saving procedure. And if a parent donor is all you have, then you would have to proceed to transplantation with that donor. I see. And and does it make any difference if it's a a sibling or an offspring? No, it didn't. The graft failure rate was 6% and 7% if you had a sibling or an offspring donor. And transplant outcomes in relation to GVHD and relapse were were similar? They, They were similar. We also, albeit given the limitations of 120 um, transplantations where parents served as donors, um, of which 60% were mothers, we also explored for differences between maternal and paternal donors and found none. And the only outcome that was affected by using a parent as a donor was graft failure. Um, GVHD, both acute and chronic, non-relapse mortality and survival did not differ. And Dr. Epen, was there any influence of um, CMV serostatus or ABO matching? The patient CMV serostatus had a negative impact on survival. Seropositive patients were had a higher risk of mortality, but not the serostatus of the donor, nor did we see a difference in ABO incompatibility. Um, Where we did see a difference, and this is not really a donor characteristic, it is a graft characteristic, is that the risks of acute and chronic graft-versus-host disease was much higher if you had used a peripheral blood graft as opposed to a marrow graft from any haploidentical donor. So if we were wanting to select bone marrow or peripheral blood, how would you base decisions around around that? So the, the data support that bone marrow grafts are associated with lower acute and chronic graft-versus-host disease compared to peripheral blood. Um, there was no difference in survival, and although our study did not directly address quality of life, given this was data submitted to a transplant registry, there are a number of publications in the literature that have shown fairly conclusively that recipients of peripheral blood transplants who develop chronic graft-versus-host disease have less of a, have less psychological well-being and are less likely to return to work compared to their peers who received bone marrow grafts. And the symptom burden as assessed by the least score is also considerably higher among patients who have received, who have chronic graft-versus-host disease and have received peripheral blood grafts compared to bone marrow grafts. So one would have to assume that the the severity of chronic GVHD with peripheral blood really doesn't change um, depending on the type of transplantation. It is whether you actually have chronic GVHD or not. I see. So is there any scenario when you would choose peripheral blood preferentially for the for these post-transplant cihaplo-identical transplants? I am not aware of any data that that directly shows that peripheral blood has an advantage in any setting um, 
in any clinical scenario in the setting of a haplodontal transplantation with post-transplant cyclophosphamide. Now, that said, um, this is a strategy that people are beginning to use, and as we learn more about these transplantations and transplant more and more patients, um, one can begin to look at the relationship between um, disease status of transplantation, the type of conditioning regimen, myeloblative versus reduced intensity, and so on and so forth, and perhaps explore whether in any of those settings um, there is an advantage to using peripheral blood. I see. So um, that's, this is fascinating. So if in your, in your um, institution when patients come to... Um, to haploidentical transplant now and you're looking at donor options, what would your current algorithm be for um, with patients that have multiple options? That's an, that's an interesting question because that brings in um, that in addition to the published literature, that brings in physician bias. Um, <laughs> so several um, and, and I would say at our institution, several of my several of my clinical colleagues um, would offer a peripheral blood graft if they are planning to use a reduced intensity conditioning regimen, and if it's a myeloblative regimen, they would use a bone marrow graft. Now, whether that that is. Um, <laughs> that is the absolute correct thing to do, um, people would argue, and one of the rationale for using peripheral blood is the fact that the results of the randomized um, peripheral blood versus marrow study that was conducted in the United States several years ago led by Claudio Anasetti, um, BMTCTN0201, showed a higher risk of graft failure with bone marrow grafts. So we still have some more information to learn to help guide in, in those decisions. Absolutely. I, I, I think yes. these are questions that people will continue to ask, and we're going to need a lot more haplodontal transplant recipients to be able to fully understand that particular strategy. As an example, um, you know, when we when people were studying donor characteristics um, in the unrelated donor setting, you know, it eventually took um, data sets of thousands of patients to fully understand and conclusively report out the effect of histocompatibility, in particular allele level matching and donor age. Dr. Epen, I, I want to thank you for your um, for your discussion on this this paper, which I think is um, really interesting and helpful to to our field as we um, continue to expand the number of haploidentical transplants that we're we're undertaking. Um, thank you very much, and I encourage everyone in the audience to uh, access and to uh, read Dr. Epen's paper, which um, is now um, online um, at Blood Advances. Thank you. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Blood Advances Community Conversations. 
Visit bloodadvances.org to listen to more author interviews and to subscribe to the Community Conversations podcast. Music for the Blood Advances Community Conversations was performed by the Art Topolo Trio and provided by Dr. Art Topolo. This presentation is copyrighted by the American Society of Hematology. We thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.